Well, hey, this is my first podcast. My name's Tom Goodyear. I'm running for mayor of Fort Wayne, Indiana. And my special guest today on my first podcast is Monica Kelsey. How are you this morning, Monica? I am well. Thank you for having me as your number one guest. I know. Right? Number one? Number one, yes. I'm just excited to have you on. Um, Thank you. I'll give you a little history of uh, why I'm doing these podcasts. It's really about um, creating excellence in the city of Fort Wayne. And I know that each life to me is excellence because there's a purpose and a reason for that life and uh, I really feel called um, to uh, take the initiative to talk about that and I, that's one reason why I had you on my, uh, my first podcast show. So I appreciate it. So I guess we'll get started. I'll give you a little background on myself. I, I'm a, one of 12 children. So Your parents were busy. They were. <laughs> <laughs> But I'm number nine, and, um, you know, I always had that thought process that, you know, what if they stopped at eight? Mm-hmm. You know, you wouldn't have nine, ten, eleven, and twelve. Right. And so, and yeah, those other four individuals are so important in the aspects of the world and what they've accomplished already on this right. earth. And so I, I just feel life is just extremely important, and I really appreciate what you are doing for not just the community, but for basically the whole country now it seems like it's just spreading like wildfires so can I, i'm going to ask you what got you involved in this cause oh gosh so you know i always knew that i was adopted um, that was never a secret in my family uh, but i never knew my story you know and i think as an adoptee we all want to know our story so after i graduated high school i joined the united states military uh, spent eight years defending my country and then joined the fire service you know f- became a firefighter and a medic after that so i've always been on the front lines and i i didn't realize how christ was using me in in those times to uh, gear me up for the job that he had for me. Mm -hmm. And so when I was 37 years old, I had the amazing opportunity to meet my biological mother. And that day became the best and the worst day of my life. Because that was the day that not only did I get to meet the woman that I had fantasized over my entire life, Mm -hmm. wanting to, to thank her for giving me the life that I had. I mean, I was the middle child of three, you know, three daughters. My, my, in all honesty, my dad prayed for a boy and he got stuck with three girls. But, <laughs> but you know, I was the, the middle child of three daughters and two of us were adopted. And she just gave me such an amazing life. And I knew that I would thank her one day for that. And so my husband and I, who's the mayor of Woodburn, okay. you know, uh, so him and I went up to Michigan and met her. And that day she kind of rocked my world, I guess, I guess you could say, is she was 17 years old. She was brutally attacked and raped and, mm. and left along the side of the road. And and this, of course, was when abortion was illegal in our country, even in the cases of rape and incest. And, and I'm not here to debate that. I'm just stating the facts. Right. You know, and uh, she pressed charges against this man. He was arrested and he was charged. And then she finds out she's pregnant. And uh, she was hidden for the remainder of the pregnancy. And then she gave birth in April of 1973 and abandoned her child um, two hours after that child was born and that child was me. And so learning this, it was devastating because I was told my entire life growing up that my birth parents were young and love and couldn't care for me, so they placed me for adoption. And that actually was what my, my adoptive parents were told to protect me. And, uh, and so finding that, I literally had to kind of reach deep and, and learn why I found out at 37 and what Christ had in store for me. And I, I think you all are seeing the, the results of that, you know, today. It is amazing how many individuals find out 
who their biological parents are because I have a brother-in-law, my sister Chris, who's the baby mm-hmm. in the family. She's number 12. She married a young man and he was adopted. And so he had always had that same urge that you had. He wanted to find out who his bio- biological mother and father were. And he did eventually find out. It's amazing that he is birth mom was from California oh, and he wow. lives in Indiana oh, wow. so and now they live in Oregon and so he flies out there frequently to visit her his father his biological father is is, is, uh, is deceased I think there's a aspect of adoption or kind of no, not want to get off the aspects of the baby box but I think that people have this misnomer that oh I'm gonna I'm gonna have difficulties um, because I'm gonna give this baby up and and there's that there's that tug of war whether they want to do that or not do that and you know I think that God always seems to work those aspects out well and you know I mean we have to be honest you know adoption is terrifying Mm -hmm. it's heartbreaking but it's so amazing at the same time and Mm so you know birth parents go through a lot of different emotions but the one thing that they have to to be proud of themselves for is they've put their child first they didn't yeah. put their child last. They didn't put their, their life in front of their child. They put their child first. And you would know that because you are adopted. Yeah, well, and, you know, we work with all these moms, you know, these, mm-hmm. these women that surrender in our baby boxes or surrender by handoff. We work with a lot of these moms, and they are amazing. They're, they're so strong. And for someone to say, I want what's best for my child and it's not me, mm-hmm. that's heroic. Wow. We, we should all be thanking her and praising her because she chose something safe and legal mm-hmm. and just just amazing for this child. So how did you get the idea for the baby box? Oh wow. So I was actually on a speaking tour in Cape Town, South Africa. Wow. Um, and I was there with a speaker. She said I wanted to you know, I wanted to tell people my story. I believed in my birth mom and I asked my birth mom if it was okay if I talked about it and she said, Never say my last name and I, I respect that. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted to speak more on it and so uh, I took a, a trip uh, with a friend of mine to Cape Town, South Africa. We spoke 14 times in 16 days. Wow. Uh, it was not a vacation, and <laughs> I happened to be at the only church in Cape Town that had a baby safe. And I was walking by it, and as a firefighter and a medic, I knew about the safe haven law, mm-hmm. where a parent can walk into any fire station or hospital, hand their child to a worker, turn around, walk away, and no questions were asked. And But I'd never seen anything like this before, and I was like, what? what? What is this, and what is it used for? And they said, well, women come here at night, and they drop their babies off so no one sees them and they remain anonymous. And I'm like, does this really work? And they had saved seven babies that year. Wow. And this was a church. <laughs> this was a church That's in Cape Town. And then on the flight back, I was like, I was wrestling with this. Mm-hmm. Um, because I knew it was a third world country. We're, we're not. And, um, but I thought, if, if this could work in America, think of all the lives that we could save. Mm-hmm. And so on the flight back from Cape Town, South Africa, to uh, Atlanta, Georgia, on a Delta napkin, which I still have this Delta napkin today because every great story starts with Delta That's napkin. That's right. Uh, I hand drew my version of the baby box, and then I came back to the States here in Indiana and, and started the uphill battle of implementing the baby boxes first in Indiana, and then I decided, why stop there? So what's your story and the aspects of how you got it implanted in Allen County. Oh gosh. Well, the first thing that was the hardest for me was getting people to understand that putting a baby in a box was better than a baby dying in a dumpster. Mm-hmm. And so people can't wrap their heads around, what do you mean we're putting babies in boxes? No, you have to understand this is a good thing if the alternative is a dumpster or a trash can. 
And so that was the first thing that I had to wrap my heads around. Yeah, that is kind of like hard for me to even grasp myself that it actually, something like that would actually happen. Oh, gosh. And and I, I guess because, you know, I had an amazing mother who died at the age of 65. And, you know, she gave her life to us as the opportunity to be able to live and breathe and do all the things that we want to do with our lives. I'm a singer and salesman. I've heard you sing. You're you're amazing. I'm running for mayor. Thank you. So, I mean, I I just realized I would not have had this opportunity if she would not have given me the opportunity to live. Mm -hmm. So, I thank you, Mom. (laughs) I'm getting (laughs) teary-eyed, so I won't say any more. But um, what can we do in Fort Wayne to help? How can I do that as as mayor? I mean, I, I'd, I'd love to see the aspects of us being able to put them into certain places in the Fort Wayne Fire Department somewhere. Yeah, uh, you know, unfortunately, the mayor that we currently have mm-hmm. is against the baby boxes. And and I, I don't know why. why. I, I Well, I met with him and the fire chief, and uh, the mayor blames the fire chief. Fire chief blames the mayor. It's it's. Mm. It, but you know, it, I never wanted to be somebody that pushed these boxes on anybody. This needed mm. to be a, a volu- voluntary program. Mm. And so, if if they didn't feel the need, then I wasn't going to push. But and that's kind of why we went kind of around the loop and went with the Boyd Township, putting one in there because they're not ran by Fort Wayne. And then, of course, St. Joe Hospital has one now. Station One needs to have one, and so does uh, the station off of Rudisill. Mm. I've always said that. I've always said that. And uh, that's um, uh, Station Seven. I believe I worked for a trial for a lot of yeah, years and I can't remember I know <laughs> you, you think we, you think I'd have them all memorized I know where, I know what corner you're thinking of it's the fire station on the corner of Russell and Lafayette yes so. yes and and you know it, it's the boxes aren't just to save the lives of children they're also an education piece when someone drives by that fire station every day mm-hmm. they're going to see a baby box at the, the firehouse and that's going to trigger hey that's a safe haven location right now what do you have in Fort Wayne mm-hmm. you have some signs on the sides of your firehouses that say safe haven half of america doesn't know exactly what safe haven means Mm -hmm. and so we're expecting women in crisis or or men in crisis when they walk up to a fire station to see what to to understand the word safe haven it's it's mind-boggling to Mm -hmm. me and you know 20 years ago when we passed the safe haven law in america it was enough it was enough for someone to walk in. But 20 years later, 22 years later, it's not enough anymore. We have kids that will take their phone and text you. They won't call you. They don't want to talk to you. Or you have these keyboard warriors that are behind their screen. They don't want to face you. So for us to think that every woman should walk into a fire station and hand their child to a person when they're in the biggest crisis of their life, it's ridiculous. It is. It's ridiculous. Will some yeah, people still do that? Mm-hmm. Of course. Mm-hmm. But you have, you have, as firefighters, you, you train for the worst and you hope for the best. And so as a baby that is going to be surrendered, we hope mm-hmm. that she walks in and hands a child to a person. But if she won't, we better, we better plan for the worst mm-hmm. and put a box in that fire station so she doesn't have to walk in and hand the child to a person and look somebody in the eye and possibly be asked questions that she doesn't want to answer. Yeah, I guess my next question is once someone hands the baby over in the baby box, mm-hmm. is there a recourse if, say, they regret what they did and they want the baby back? So currently, um, every state allows for a parent to return. So in Indiana, we allow 30 days before the termination of parental rights happens. So uh, we did just have a, a mom that returned for one of the babies that was placed in the box last year. Mm-hmm. And so is it as easy to get your child back 
as putting it in a box now because when a baby is placed in one of our boxes, we don't know who the parents are. We have to establish maternity and paternity, mm-hmm. you know. And so um, this case, it did take this mother a little while to get her son back, but she did. And that, it's a possibility, mm-hmm. you know. So uh, it is possible. It is possible for them to return. Does it happen very often? No. no. Yeah, I think once they've made that as- aspects of the decision, they're probably, yeah, not, not to probably, you know, look back. I, maybe, I, I don't know, I'm not the mom, and uh, and I'm not going to claim to ask, have that aspect. That's why I have you on the show, Monica, <laughs> because you are very generous with your answers and, and giving me a better understanding. That's really what I want to have is a better understanding because I'm not a Mr. Know-it-all and I just want to get a better idea of, of the purpose and reason why we need to do this well, for the community. And, you know, every reason is different for a parent, mm-hmm. but I'll, I'll share one reason with you. And this person is now a really good friend of mine and she utilized one of our baby boxes. And we reach out to these parents through press conferences when a baby is saved because I want to walk alongside these moms. Mm-hmm. I, I My birth mom didn't have that. I feel at peace knowing that I could be that voice for someone else. And so we were sitting at dinner one night, and every time I'm in her area, I call her and say, hey, you want to do dinner? We did dinner this night, and I was just curious. It wasn't that I needed to know. I was just asking questions, and I said, why didn't you walk in and hand that child to a person at that fire station? Why did you place your little girl in in that baby box? And and she said something that was so profound to me that I've never forgotten, but she said, I didn't want them talking me out of a decision that took me so long to make. Mm. I was like, oh my goodness. Think about, now think about us as firefighters. We're fixers. Mm-hmm. We want to fix everything. Mm-hmm. You know? And so if a woman walks into a fire station and hands a child, the, their first reaction is, hang on a second. Let's talk about this. What mm-hmm. can we do to help? These women don't want that help. They, they've made this decision, mm-hmm. and we should honor that. We should respect that and stop trying to talk these women out of it and shaming them and judging them. You know, let them make their decision. They're going to make the best decision for them. So if I am elected mayor, I, I'm, I'm real eager to, to work with you and, and, and try to work with whoever the future fire chief is in regards to the baby box. Mm-hmm. I mean, even if we can place one, it's better than none. Right. Because I think that it, it's an important aspect to the community. It's going to bring strength. And I know some people don't look at it from that perspective, but not every child is in the right environment. And they're just like, I mean, and so the the mother just feels, again, I'm not going to put myself into that person's um, shoes, but I'm sure they're feeling a tremendous amount of anxiety mm-hmm. in what they're doing. I mean, I, I can't imagine that, that aspect of it, but I'm, you know, I'm... I guess I'm wanting guidance from you, and that's probably the reason why, you know, if I do become mayor, it's probably one of the first calls I make is to you, Monica, so that I can, you know, figure out uh, what is the right avenue. And, you know, I'm the type of person that prays, Mm -hmm. discerns about everything, even all the decisions that I make on city council, you know, for the past 20 years. It's not not some willy-nilly, fly-by-night type of thing, oh, I'm voting for this. I really pray, pray about it, discern about it, make sure it's the right right avenue because it's going to be something that's going to be law until somebody changes it right so i think it's really really important you know whether it's a tax or whatever it might be that i'm really focused in making the right decision and i uh, i don't want people to think that i'm taking anything lightly because i take everything pretty pretty seriously i'm not a nonchalant type person you know i really really want people to understand that it, that if you don't pray and you don't discern about something, how are you going to make a logical decision in regards to what God really wants? Right. And I really, I really take that that road. 
uh, every single day. And sometimes, you know, you get off that path. Oh, you know? yeah. Isn't it amazing? He keeps you back on, <laughs> He <though. laughs> does. I mean, I'm, I'm so glad he puts me back on the straight and narrow. So, um, I'm glad that we we both had the opportunity to talk in regards to this. Do you have anything uh, else that you'd like to discuss in regards to the baby box and what you feel is the most important thing about the baby box other than what we've already spoke about? I would just say that, you know, more education needs to be handed down, you know, um, from high schools and colleges. I mean, I'm doing training every week somewhere mm-hmm. s- with, with someone or, or some organization, but we have to do more. We have to do more as a community. I mean, I'm a nonprofit. I don't take any government funds. Mm-hmm. I don't take any state funds. I don't take any government funds. Everything that I do is by donation and fundraising. Why is the state putting that on a nonprofit? You know, and so so should the state be doing more? Yes. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying giving me money. That's not what I'm saying at all. But I mean, they should have programs out there <clears throat> educating. You know, at, at WIC locations. I mean, a lot of these parents that get WIC, you know, the women and children um, stuff. Uh, our single parents mm-hmm. at their wit's end, you know, and we found that a lot of our parents that surrender, this isn't their first child. So we have to be out there educating, and I think that's the biggest takeaway that we can do as a society to make sure that everyone knows about this law. I think we've covered all the bases of what we wanted to discuss about. I think that the biggest thing is is what we what we can do together for the future and for future lives of yeah. the community. I think that that's really uh, so critical. I still go back to my 11 brothers and sisters, and, and I just think of how m- much each one of them has touched someone's lives. Yeah. You know, like my brother Jim, organist and teacher, St. Francis, Precious Blood. My brother Steve, who's a meat cutter and manager at a meat market in, in Minnesota. And then you have my brother Tim, who owned his meat market. I worked for him for many years. And, you know, he touched so many lives because of all the donations he gave to all the organizations and uh, St. Vincent de Paul and, you know, St. the Franciscan Center. And then you have my brother Phil, who's a Spanish teacher, and my sister Annie, who, you know, she was a, believe it or not, she was an amazing cook, so she went, she went to work for the Fort Wayne Community Schools, and, oh, wow. and she cooked for the schools. And then my sister Jeannie, who's a pianist and taught all those children. Sounds how to like play you got some music in your family. It is. So, <laughs> It is, it's, it's just, I, I mean, I have a story for every one of them, yeah. you know, from Joe to Teresa, myself, Michael, my little brother who's no longer with us, and my, my brother Mark and my sister Chris, they're all integral parts of this community, and it, they, it wouldn't have happened if, if the life wouldn't have been given to them, and I really, really cherish it, and I really, really am... Um, happy uh, that I have so many f- siblings. It's it's amazing. Some people ask, why do you have so many siblings? They said, well, I Because my parents were busy. Because <laughs> they were busy. So, um, I'm... I'm, uh, I'm glad I had you on the show, Monica. I really appreciate you uh, taking the time out of your busy, busy schedule. I really appreciate you being the first person on my first show. Number one you, number one guest. You I love it. You were number one guest, but thank you so much. And, well, with that, it ends episode one. And, Monica, thank you again for being on the show. Thanks for having me. Also, I'd like to uh, thank Willie's Restaurant for giving me the opportunity to have my podcast here today. I am so thankful and blessed uh, for the community and its itself and for what they do all the all the 
all the different owners of different businesses, small businesses that have done so much for our community over the years. Well, did you know that Willie's too is now in Woodburn, uh, where my husband is the mayor? Yes. So uh, they are very busy right now. They only opened up a couple of months ago, but people are loving it, loving it in Woodburn. Yes, I'm really excited for you because Kim has told me that uh, it's been really, really busy. Yes. So and that's good. We always have to wait. <laughs> And this is Woodburn, 2,000 people. <laughs> yes, but the food's amazing. Yeah, it yeah, is. Yeah, they do a really nice job. So I want to thank Kim and Nick at Willie's. Uh, Willie's 1 and Willie's 2. Yep. Take care. All righty, everybody, have a great day and God bless.